<clears throat> Merry Christmas, everyone. We are continuing today in the book of John, the book of John chapter 4. So turn with me in your Bibles, the book of John chapter 4. <clears throat> Pastor Jared got this started a couple weeks ago. And, you know, I've been preparing this message and series of messages for a little while. And you know, there is so much here in John chapter 4. So we're going we're gonna to linger here for a little bit. <clears throat> Uh, we've already had one message on the first 15-ish verses. We're going to look into those a, a, a bit more today. We're going to just linger here a little bit and probe some of the depths of the riches of the knowledge and wisdom of God that we see here in John chapter 4. And so let's pray before we uh, dig into God's word today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this season <clears throat> where we see the gift of God. Jesus coming to save us. And Lord, uh, I pray that your Holy Spirit would give us eyes to see today, Lord. I pray that we would be thirsty in our souls uh, for you today, Lord. That we would realize the, the emptiness of <clears throat> the water of this world and the wells of this world. And as we see you, Lord Jesus, and, and your beauty, that we would understand the gift of God and who it is that... Uh, we ought to worship who it is that is our true savior through faith. Uh, give us eyes to see today, Lord. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to our hearts through your word today, God. And so bless this time. Fill us with your spirit, we pray. And uh, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as a reminder, the main purpose of the book of John is that you would believe. And that by believing, you would have eternal life in his name. And it's interesting to compare what we see here in John chapter 4 to what we, what we saw in John chapter 3. There's an interesting comparison here in these two chapters. What we see in both of them is a direct interaction that Jesus has with specific people. If you remember in John chapter 3, that person was Nicodemus the ruler of the Jews, as it is written in the Greek. And if you remember a little bit about Nicodemus, remember about him. Remember that he really represented Israel in its lost spiritual state. He was the leader of the Jews, the teacher of the Jews. And remember a few things about him. And what we, what we learned about Israel in their spiritual state as we, as we looked at him, Israel had been blinded. Their priesthood was blinded. We saw that in John chapter 1. They were a joyless nation. The temple was corrupt and filled with thieves. We saw that in John chapter 2. The religious leaders were spiritually dead. We saw that in John chapter 3, in the early verses, John chapter 3, 7. And they hated Jesus, their Messiah. We see that in John chapter 3. They reject his testimony. So to self-righteous Israel, the Samaritans would be considered the evil scum of the earth. And that's where we're going to be looking now in chapter 4. This Jesus goes through Samaria, and he talks to a woman at the well, at a well in Samaria. And so we see that the picture in the movie kind of shifts scenes from Nicodemus, the self-righteous religious leader of the Jews, to this lowly, sinful woman at the well in Samaria. 
And there's some interesting comparisons and contrasts here between these two people in these two settings. We saw in, in John chapter 3 that Israel really had no interest at all in the salvation uh, from, from Messiah, and they definitely don't have any interest at all in the salvation of the Samaritans. <laughs> they, they hated each other. And that history goes way back. You can read it in the Old Testament. It, it goes way back a deep, deep racism and hatred between these two groups of people. And as chapter three wraps up, we see Jesus despised and rejected by Israel. Now, if you think through in, in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, what happens when the gospel is preached first to the Jews? Then where do they go? The Gentiles. Right. That's the pattern all through the scripture. The gospel is the power of God to salvation for all who believe to the Jew first and then to the Greeks then to the Gentiles. And so Jesus, he has shared the gospel with Nicodemus and the religious leaders there in Jerusalem. He has preached the gospel there. What was their reaction? Rejection. They want to have anything to do with it. They want to kill him. And so he leaves that place and he goes to Galilee of the Gentiles. He goes to Samaria and, he, and to get to Galilee of the Gentiles, he goes right through Samaria to the very evil ones Israel despised and rejected. And so we see here in, the, in this beautiful passage, you know, got the order of the gospel preaching is perfect as always. It's always perfect. And it's the pattern we always see throughout the New Testament. Now, when the Jews would travel north, and Pastor Jared touched on this a couple weeks ago, when, when the Jews would travel north from Jerusalem to Galilee, they would uh, usually avoid Samaria. That's like the hood. <laughs> like, they don't want to go there, right? You don't go through that place. Those people are unclean. They're nasty. You don't go there, right? You go around. And they would typically go around Samaria. If you look at the maps in the back of your Bible, those things are helpful. You can see there's Judea, <clears throat> Samaria, and then Galilee, right? So you would think you'd go right through Samaria to get to Galilee, but no, no, you know, righteous Jewish people would not do that. They don't want to go that, that way. That's a bad part of town, right? You don't go through that place. Those are unclean people there. You don't go that way. So they go around. They go out to the Jordan River, go up, and then they go around. It's longer. But hey, that's what you do, but not Jesus. Jesus shatters all of the stereotypes. He shatters all of the cultural norms of the time. And he goes right through Samaria to get to Galilee. Amazing. And so think about that, you know, in our, in our culture sometimes. It's like, well, we're not going through that neighborhood. Oh, no, we're not going to those people. Oh, no, we're not going to go talk to those people for whatever reason. Maybe we should. Maybe we should have some compassion and mercy and love and grace and seek to save that which is lost, just as Jesus does. Now, in John chapter 4, the person Jesus interacts with is an adulterous woman of Samaria. Another shocker. She has no title, no authority. She's a lowly, sinful Samaritan woman may have even been a servant of some kind. She's coming to the well to draw water. Now, notice the contrast between the interactions with these two people. Nicodemus in chapter 3, remember? 
When did Nicodemus come to see Jesus? He came at night, right? He's the ruler of the Jews, prominent person, dignified, got the titles, you know, got the, the PhDs on the wall, all that good stuff, you know, and so he sneaks around and comes by night for various reasons that we've already discussed. The woman at the well that Jesus goes and speaks to her in broad daylight for all to see. It's the sixth hour, right? So it is daytime. Everybody can see. He's not hiding anything. And Jesus goes to her. It's interesting. John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus. John chapter 4, Jesus goes to the woman at the well. What does he say to Nicodemus? Nicodemus comes to him and says, Rabbi, you know, it showers him with all these flattering words. Rabbi, we know, we know you must be sent from God to do all the things that you're doing. You must be born again. Huh? What? You must be born again, Nicodemus. What? What does that have to do with what I just said? Hey, you must be born again. He gives him command. You must be born again. He sees the woman at the well, and he speaks of the gift of God. We're going to read the text. You can see all this, this flowery speech of the gift of God, and eternal life, and, and all of these things. And at the end of it all, the Samaritans believe that Jesus is indeed the Savior of the world. And I pray that our eyes will be open today to believe as they did. Now, it's a long passage of scripture. It's 42 verses, but I want us to read it. So that we see the full context of everything that's going on here. If we get too laser focused in on, you know, just a few verses, we're going to miss the bigger picture of this whole interaction. And, and that's what it's really beautiful to see it. Because you can see how, how things play out through the conversation and the relationship with this woman at the well. And so we're going to read through it. And then we're going to dig into the first 15 verses uh, one more time. Look at John chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, John the Baptist, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself and his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. 
But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your, your husband and come here. The woman answered him, well, I, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And so the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. <clears throat> Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. But here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony, saying, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world now isn't that beautiful <laughs> that is a beautiful passage you see the, the contrast there between the end of chapter three and the end of chapter four and he leaves jerusalem you know rejected despised the, the leader of the jews the, the teacher nicodemus he's like now oh, what can a man enter his mother's womb and be born again? How, Jesus, how? He doesn't get it. It's not clicking with him. And here, not only does the woman at the well believe, 
but she goes and tells all of the, the whole town in Samaria of all places. I mean, I want you to feel the gravity of this. It's like, how in the world could those nasty old Samaritans be saved? Do you know what they do? They're awful people. And the whole town believes. And they say, hang out with us, Jesus. Don't leave. Come, stay longer. Whereas the Jews in Jerusalem were like, get him out of here. Let's kill him. Stark contrast. Stark contrast. And really, this passage is, is shocking. Jesus, a self-respecting rabbi of the Jews, should not have been passing and traveling through Samaria, let alone talking to this, this woman like this. You see the reaction even of the disciples? Like, what's he doing talking to her? I couldn't believe it. But often what is shocking to our understanding, brothers and sisters, is the wisdom of God. So let's not be too quick to judge, to criticize, to put people off. Let's be quick to have love, <laughs> compassion, and mercy, and share the gospel and love our neighbor as ourself. As I was reading this passage, I was reminded of what Jesus said in John chapter 10, when he spoke of himself as the good shepherd. You remember that passage, John chapter 10, verse 16, or 11 through 16. Jesus is talking and he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs. They flee. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep. And am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. It says I must bring. And they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. See, brothers and sisters, these Samaritans, they were the other sheep. They were some of the other sheep, and he must bring them. And what does the text also say? They will hear my voice, and they will come. Now, I've been on mission trips through, throughout the world. And every time I go, even in New York City, <laughs> his sheep are out there. His sheep are there. Even in the belly of the beast in Times Square, New York City. You stand and you worship with all tribes, tongues, and nations. Look around, it's the thousand people in there worshiping Jesus Christ from all over the world. And I'm thanking God, thanking you, Jesus. Thank you. Your sheep are out there. They hear his voice and they come. Even in Samaria. Even in Saudi Arabia, even in Malaysia or India or China or Iraq, all those nasty, evil Muslim places that we want destroyed and bombs to go off all over the place because they're evil people. His sheep are out there. 
they're there. And sometimes we're to be his voice. And he sends us to be his voice. And when they hear Jesus's voice through us and through the word of God, they come. And you don't have to put on a fancy sales pitch. You just tell them. And they come and they believe. Just like this town of Samaria, just like the woman at the well believed. And so Jacob, or Jesus, he's walking through Samaria, and he finds Jacob's well. What a coincidence, right? <laughs> Not a coincidence. He knew exactly where he was going. His GPS took him to the exact right location. Like, this is it. This is Jacob's well. I'm going to stop here, and something great's going to happen, because I have to save this woman today. That's why he was there. That was no accident or a coincidence. It was planned before the foundation of the world. Right. Now, the woman comes to the well to draw water. <clears throat> and who, who, who talks first? You see that in the text? Who talks first? Jesus talks first. Jesus humbles himself and talks first. He's not supposed to talk to her. That's not the culturally right thing to do. He doesn't care about that garbage. Jesus has come to save that which was lost. So he talks first. Directly to her. Now to the Jews, that, that was an abomination. You know, that was terrible. You can't do that. It's not tolerated. And the woman was even shocked. We saw that in verse 9. And as I was reading this, I was thinking that this is one way Jesus lived out Philippians 2. It was written about him. He humbled himself. He humbled himself. In some translations there in Philippians 2, it says he made himself of no reputation. Yeah, he, didn't, he didn't care about his reputation. He wasn't thinking, boy, if this gets out on social media, you know, I'm done. My ministry's over. You know, scandal upon scandal. You know, this would be terrible. I, I, I can't be here, right? No. Didn't care about that. He's there to save that which is lost. So he humbles himself. He made himself of no reputation. And you know, that's that's why we celebrate Christmas, isn't it? You know, because he humbled himself and he gave himself that we might have life through him. That we might have life through faith in him. And he humbled himself. That's why we celebrate Christmas. He came to save us. So thank you, Jesus, for your indescribable gift. That's what the, what the word says. He humbled himself. He came to save us, and he died on the cross for our sins. Now, he starts the conversation with the greatest of intentions. Look at verse 7. He says, give me a drink. <clears throat> now, that's very different than how he spoke to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you must be born again to the woman at the well. Give me a drink. And, and notice this conversation, if you look at it, it's all about giving and gifts and water and spirit, thirst and refreshment to satisfy a weary body and a weary soul. You, you can see that coming out in the text. You know, Jesus is weary 
from his journey. He's thirsty. There's, and then there's discussion of gifts and eternal life and living water and refreshment. So, you know, you, as you're reading this, you know, over and over again, I want you to read it and read it over and over again and kind of feel, feel the context here. Feel the context here. You, you know what it feels like to be thirsty. You probably don't, maybe not know what it feels like to be this thirsty. You know, you're wandering through a desert wilderness, in the mountains. You look at the map, you can see the topographical type of map. They're, they're going through dry wilderness, desert, mountains. I mean, this, is, this is really thirsty. Really thirsty. And so you've got this imagery here of, of refreshment for thirst. And as I was reading this, I was thinking, you know, like, you know, are we thirsty in our souls today? Because he, he switches from the physical, give me a drink, to talking about eternal life. <laughs> and so the message here for us today is, you know, are you, are you thirsty in your soul today? Is your soul thirsty today? Revelation 22 17 says this, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. And the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. What do you desire today? What are you thirsty for today? Jesus starts the conversation with the physical, what the woman can see and feel. He asks her for a drink from the well, and then he turns the conversation to the spiritual, talking about the gift of God and living water and eternal life. <laughs> and in the context of the whole scripture, you know, when he talks about living water, Jeremiah speaks of the Lord as the fountain of living water, Jeremiah chapter 2 and chapter 7. And so all of this connects. <coughs> He's here at Jacob's well, the one that he gave to Joseph. Right? The woman at the well knows, you know, we read forward, she, she knows about, about Messiah. She knows where they're supposed to worship. You know, she knows these things of God. And she probably knows that the Lord is the fountain of living water. And so Jesus turns the conversation from the water that can be drawn from the well to living water. And the discussion of living water. And he's starting to, he's helping her to see and make the transition from the physical to the spiritual. From satisfying thirst in our mouths to satisfying thirst in our souls. But she doesn't get it at first. You can see that in verse 11. She asks him, how is he going to get the living water since he has nothing to draw with and the well is deep? So he's, he's trying, right? He's putting it out there and she's just not getting it at first. How are you going to do that, Jesus? You don't have anything to draw with. That well's deep. You have to reach down in there and slurp it up with your hand. You don't have any cups. You don't have anything. How are you going to do it? Then she starts in on him a little bit more. You're not greater than our father, are you? How do you think you're going to get that done? 
Aren't we all also very similar? We often don't see the spiritual things. They're standing right in front of us because of all the earthly things that are distracting us all the time. Jesus, through God's word, trying to just gently tell us, teach us something. How are you going to do that, God? How's that going to be possible, God? Oh, it's too far gone, God. There's no hope. No, God's just awful. You know, despair. You know, we've, we've suffered. The older we get, the more sufferings we've experienced. And sometimes we can just get downright, you know, in despair, in the depths of despair. I love to read the Psalms. It's comforting to my soul. I'm like, okay, David was in despair too. A man after God's own heart. He's in the depths of despair. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So just like the woman at the well, you know, God's speaking to us. And sometimes we don't have ears to hear. We're looking at the physical that's right in our face. and We just can't see past it. We don't get it at first. It's like she didn't get it at first. <clears throat> but thank God Jesus didn't give up on her. Ah, she's close. I'm done. Next. When will the disciples be back? <laughs> Those guys are taking forever. Jesus. That's not where it ends. Thank God. Thank God. <clears throat> so God, we need eyes to see and ears to hear the work of your spirit in our lives. God is the giver. And all we have to do is receive. And that's what I love about what he says next. If you knew the gift of God, he says, if you knew the gift of God, you would have asked of him, and he would have given you, given you living water. And isn't that so true? That the only thing between the sinner and eternal life is simply to ask? That's the only thing standing between the sinner and eternal life. If you knew the gift of God, O oh sinner, and if you knew who the one is that's can save you, you would have asked and you would be saved. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. But first we have to understand our condition. You know, when you read on in the story here at the woman of the well, you can see he starts to confront her about her sin. And we're going to get into that more next time. It's like, go call your husband. Right? Then her eyes start to really open. Don't call your husband. Oh, I don't have a husband. Oh, you're right. You don't have a husband. <laughs> you are exactly absolutely right, old woman. You've had five husbands. You're getting the one you're with right now is not your husband. You are right about that. Whoa. Now that's an eye-opening statement right there. Like never seen her before ever. Like, how do you know that? Right? And so often that it's that way for us as sinners who are unconverted. <clears throat> We have to understand our awful condition and the terrible danger that we're in when we're lost. We have to understand that we're lost and undone and bound for the lake of fire and the wrath of God. You've got to see your desperate need for the Savior. You've got to feel that insatiable thirst in your soul before you'll even acknowledge that you need a Savior. Before you're even ready to ask. 
the Lord for salvation. God has to open our eyes to show us our utter vanity and worthlessness of everything in, in this world so that we feel that thirst and desire that living water. Often we have to be driven to despair until we're made to wonder whether God can possibly save such a wretch like me. We have to be stripped of the filthy rags of our own pride and self-righteousness and be made willing to come to God just as we are, as an empty-handed beggar ready to receive God's mercy and charity. We've got to come into the presence of Christ and have personal dealings with him and cry out to God for him to save, to save us. So before you're able to ask, God has to deal with your conscience, has to enlighten your understanding, subdue your rebellious will and open your heart. And that's all of this is what Christ did with the woman at the well. Interestingly here, she wasn't seeking him. We're not saved because of our seeking. We have to be sought. He seeks us. We are his sheep. He is the good shepherd. He comes and seeks and saves that which is lost. She wasn't doing the seeking. He finds us. We hear his voice and we come to the one who is the source and giver of life and the living water. And so he's interacting with her here at the well. And notice she even begins uh, to argue with him a little bit. Like I just said a minute ago, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink, a woman of Samaria? Verse 9. Verse 11. You have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where do you get the living water? And Pastor Deere talked a couple weeks ago, you know, she might have been thinking the living water was, you know, a flowing water. How are you going to get this flowing water? That's commonly what they would call a river and a creek or water and a river or a creek. It's flowing. How are you going to get that? You don't have any way to get it. She's arguing with him a little bit. You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who do you think you are? Well, Jesus is the king of kings and lord of lords. Yes, he is greater than your father Jacob. He is. And he doesn't have to put up with this mess. He doesn't have to be talked to like that. He's the king of glory. How dare she talk to him like that? He doesn't have to put up with that. But he lovingly and patiently does. Look at verse 13. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Now she's excited now. She's excited, but really for the wrong reason. She's still thinking about the physical water. And boy, wouldn't it be great if I didn't have to come to this well every day, multiple times a day probably, to get some water. And she'd love our modern-day plumbing. <laughs> she'd be all about it. Right? Oh, this is amazing. I don't have to go to a well to get water. I can get right here on my spigot, and it's clean, and it's fresh, and this is great. Give me that water, sir. <clears throat> That's what we all want. You ever had your water cut out? 
you know, your well stops working or, you know, something's happened and you don't have water, man, in a family of my size, you don't have water. You got big problems, right? Some car's getting stinky real fast. Right? And so like, give me this water. We all want that kind of water. Like, we want clean water. No one's going to argue with that. And she's real excited about it. And, and I love Jesus's spirit here because she's not getting it. She's even giving a little bit of attitude, it seems like, perhaps. And, but he doesn't argue with her. He doesn't argue with her about the prejudices of the Samaritans. He doesn't seek to defend the Jews for their heartless treatment of them. You know, she doesn't go political on her. And he doesn't go political on her here. He, and he could have, you know, he could have said, yeah, all these things, but he didn't. He's not defending. He's not treating her roughly, not correcting her woeful ignorance and even stupidity about all of this. He doesn't go there. He's seeking her salvation. And he, with infinite patience, he bears with her slowness of heart to believe. Verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. And this reminds me, you know, I look at this and I say, wow, that is certainly true. Right? I can keep drinking of the water out of my, my refrigerator or my faucet, and man, I'm thirsty again. And we had this ham for Christmas dinner, and it was salty. And man, at the end of the day, I was like, I just can't drink enough water. I am thirsty again and again and again. I am constantly thirsty. And that's what it's like with the physical, right? And if anything else in this world that we hope will satisfy our hearts and souls, you know, we got a lot of presents for Christmas, probably. And those things will all, you'll be bored with all that stuff, and it'll be garbage in a year, probably, maybe less. Right? That's just how the world is. It never satisfies. The more you have, the more you're going to want. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear with hearing. None of this ever satisfies. None of this stuff of this world. None of it will ever satisfy our hearts and souls. The thirst of our souls is a spiritual one. Material things never satisfy. Earth's deepest well will leave you thirsty again. You can take your fill of pleasure. It will not satisfy you. You can surround yourself with all the comforts and luxury that wealth can provide, and your heart will still be empty. Older people in the room are saying, yeah, that's right. Amen. The young ones are like, well, really? Are you sure about that? Because I think I'm pretty happy if I had all this stuff that I want. I tell you, the older I get, the more this is certainly, certainly true. You will never be satisfied. You'll never fill the void in your soul. You can be full of knowledge and wise as Solomon, but will discover it's all vanity and vexation of spirit. Read Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It's chasing the wind. Can you grab the wind? No. You'll never grab it. You'll never rein it in. You'll never be satisfied. It's chasing the wind. All who drink of the wells of this world will be thirsty again. That's why so many famous movie and rock stars and rappers and all these guys, they all die young from drug overdoses. I mean, they do. 
They got all the fame, all the power, all the reputation, all the money they could ever spend. And they die young from drug overdoses. They, it never satisfies. Leaves their soul empty. And even religion will not fill your thirsty soul. All the religious systems of our human world do not have the true and living water of life in them. They all disappoint. And so let's be careful, church. You know, it's easy to point the finger, you know, and say, well, I've never acted like those knuckleheads, you know, and stuff like that. But you got to point the finger right back here. I think is always saying, you're pointing there, there's one finger that way, but there's three more pointing right back at me, right? I'm the, I'm the one. Right? So we got to be careful. If we look to satisfaction in the wells of this world, we will never be satisfied. And often we do it. In the busyness of our day-to-day lives, we think, oh, if I just have this, if I just have this, if I just have this, I'll be satisfied, I'll be happy, I'll be fulfilled. All of these things. And then you get that and what happens next? Well, still, still not satisfied. And never find it in the things of this world. It all disappoints. Look at verse 14. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Here is the true satisfaction of the soul. The true and living water we receive through faith in Jesus wells up in our souls and gives us the abundant and eternal life. That's the living water that never, ever runs dry. It enables us to keep on persevering in love and good deeds in the face of struggle, sorrow, persecution, and despair. This life is a struggle, brothers and sisters. But it's the living water of Christ welling up in our souls that enables us to press on and lay hold of the prize that Jesus has for us. It never leaves us thirsty, and it never disappoints. Never. It enables us to press on in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Everything else in this world would, would leave us utterly unable to do that. We'd be burnt out. You hear about people being burnt out all the time. The people that are burnt out are the ones that are trying to do it on their own strength. They're trying to live this life and press on in their own strength. And you don't have it. You run dry. We've got to look to the Savior. We've got to ask the Spirit to fill us. That we walk step by step with the Spirit every moment of the day. And the Spirit would carry us along into love and good deeds and fill our hearts with joy and peace. That's the living water that Jesus has for us. So she says in verse 15, give me this water. Sir, give me this water. Now notice the shift in the conversation here as we we wrap up. The conversation has completely shifted. He started out saying what? Give me a drink. Now who's asking? She's asking him. See what's happening in her soul? Her eyes are opening up. Sir, give me this water. She's still thinking about the physical water, 
but it's starting to happen in her heart and mind. Hey, he has something for me. Now, she's a Samaritan woman. To ask a favor would mean she would owe him something. Now, neither one in those cultures would want to owe each other anything. Right? They're not supposed to be talking to each other. He says, give me a drink. Do me a favor. She's now saying, sir, give me this water. There's a definite shift in the conversation. She's asking of him. Her eyes are beginning to open. She really has nothing to give to him. And he has eternal life to give to her. And so is your soul thirsty today? That's the question for each one of us today. Is your soul thirsty today? <laughs> All those presents you just got on Christmas yesterday, not going to satisfy your soul. They just won't. Only the living water of Jesus can do that. And so I beg you, trust in Jesus today. Confess your sins to him. Cry out to him to save your soul. Don't be like Nicodemus. He went away confused and not believing. Don't be like Nicodemus. Confused and unbelieving. Instead, learn from the Samaritan woman as the well. Believe in Jesus. Tell the world of his wonderful salvation. Experience his spring of living water that wells up in your soul to eternal life. And then go tell the rest of the world about his great love and salvation. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>